Welcome to the Holy Catholic Brew. My name is Lyndon Chan, and I'm a newly minted young professional. I've been blessed with the presence of really amazing, faithful Catholics in my life, and by the grace of God in my own life. This podcast is meant to distill some of the fruitiest, strongest, and most concentrated graces I've received that I think others might benefit from hearing. So sit back, grab your favorite brew, and tune in with me for interviews and reflections as we steep ourselves in the infinite, life-giving love of God. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the new season of the Holy Catholic Brew. In this episode, I interview Erin Kinsella, who is currently the Director of Campus Ministry at the Newman Centre in University of Toronto. I've actually known Erin for quite a few years now, uh, since I was a student at the University of Toronto. So interviewing her was like talking to an old friend. When I first recorded this episode, this was a year ago in 2019, when Erin was still in the process of discerning to become a consecrated virgin for the Archdiocese of Toronto. Now she has been a consecrated virgin for almost a year now, but uh, at the time of this interview, I knew almost nothing about what it meant to be a consecrated virgin. For her song, Erin picked Halo by Beyonce. So stick around and learn why this song speaks so much to Erin's vocational story. Enjoy! So can you please introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Erin Kinsella, and I work as the Director of Campus Ministry at the Newman Center at the University of Toronto. Um, and so I've been working here for about seven years, and that's how I met you, Lyndon, through um, Newman, where you've been involved um, here. Yeah, so before the interview, um, I asked you to pick a song and like how it relates to your discernment. Yes, I can definitely tell you a little bit about that. Um, I mean, so basically for me, I've been um, kind of around the block in terms of discernment because I had a, um, a conversion when I was, like I've always been Catholic, but I was definitely um, like away from the faith for a lot of time when I was in high school and university. And then I kind of had a, um, like a, a reversion, I guess you might call it, but it was a pretty dramatic one and powerful one in the sacrament of confession. And that happened um, at the end of my university time. And, um, and so then I kind of spent some time like looking at vocations because I, re I realized I should probably maybe ask the Lord what he wanted me to do with my life instead of just seeing what I wanted to do. And, um, and so then I spent some time with sisters. I lived with some sisters in Ottawa for a little while. Um, I, uh, I left uh, the order that I was with in Ottawa and then moved to Winnipeg and then Toronto and then was kind of discerning all of this time and thinking about marriage and maybe the Lord was calling me to that, but not feeling like that was quite right, but then feeling confused because if it's not marriage and it's not religious life, then what is it? Um, okay. and yeah, so then I discovered consecrated virginity and um, or like consecrated single life, but this specific form is called consecrated virginity. And um, yeah, and so then I entered into some discernments around that. But the reason that I picked the song, the song that I picked was Halo by Beyonce, uh, because often like I love um, 
like praise and worship music and all of those kind of things. But I also find that there are a lot of songs by secular artists that also yeah. like, sometimes it feels like either I'm singing to Jesus or he's singing to me through the songs. Like um, there's a couple by um, what's his face, Justin Timberlake. Uh, that I'm like, yeah, that totally works. And then there's, um, yeah, this one by Beyonce, which is, um, yeah, so like the lyrics of it, remember those walls I built? Well, baby, they're tumbling down and they didn't even put up a fight. They didn't even make a sound. I feel like for me, my conversion was very dramatic and the Lord really had to um, allow me to come to a place in my life where, where all of the things that I had been looking for goodness and joy and truth in, um, where he had to show me that actually they're not the foundation of goodness and truth and joy and beauty. Oh. So, so he kind of, um, like it really took me, um, like coming to this place of almost like desperation for him to, and then he intervened so powerfully and it was an experience of in my total desperation of love and mercy, just reaching right into that. Um, and him revealing himself to me in that time that um, that reminds me a lot of um, St. Augustine, like when St. Augustine talks about you called and you shouted. Um, and, you know, I was looking without, but you were within and all of these kind of things. So it's um, like for me, the story of my, I guess, relationship with the Lord has been one of um, where he's taken just all the all the places that I'm broken or that I've been looking for love and showed me healing and showed me um like his love which is really what I have always desired but I think I just didn't know it for a long time um so like all the all the lyrics kind of speak about that like um everywhere I'm looking now I'm surrounded by your embrace baby I can see your halo you know you're my saving grace you're everything I need and more it's written all over your face Maybe I can see your halo. Pray it won't fade away. So that's, um, for me, that's part of it. But also it's like just the realness of that because because I think sometimes um, we can like formalize our relationship with the Lord in such a way that it's becomes like uh, overly pious and weird almost. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's not like really actually living, but we're just in a relationship with God the way we think we should be in a relationship with God and not in like a real relationship where it's dynamic and there's a back and forth and a give and take. Um, mm -hmm. So that's also what the song kind of is. St. Teresa of Avila is one of my favorite saints. And part of the reason for that is because she was super cheeky um, and really like... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, her like her relationship with the Lord was like so real that um, that yeah, I was definitely when I kind of came back to the church, I was like, yeah, that's what I want. I want a relationship with the Lord that's living and real. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I like how um, like a lot of different secular like love songs, you can always relate back to a relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There actually is funny. I was. Um, I remember driving down to some talk that we were going to in Kingston one time and there were a couple of the Jesuit scholastics who were in the car with us <laughs> and definitely one of the other guys or one of the guys who was in the passenger seat said that exact thing. Like he does the exact same thing with lyrics. And so then definitely we were like rocking out to some <laughs> Timberlake song together about how the yeah. Lord loves us. <laughs> like this is so geekily Catholic. I love it. 
yeah. I think, yeah, that's one of the things that really attracted me to the faith, like to see that, um, like I think when I was younger, I had this very set idea of what a Catholic was like, like very pious, very kind of like uptight person. But then yeah. um, like when I first came to the Newman Center, I saw like people who were like really just like genuine in their faith. And that mm-hmm. was really attractive to me. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's me too. Like that, that was definitely something that kind of facilitated my um, conversion in the first place was, um, was exactly like being in relationship or or developing friendships with people who were, who are not like saints as we classically see them. Because that's the thing about saints, right? It's like, yes, they're saints now and they're perfected and they're in heaven. But when they were living their lives, they actually were, they, um, they exhibited uh, heroic virtue, yes, for sure, but they still were not perfect, you know? They still had their struggles, they still had their, like, foibles and eccentricities, some more than others, yeah. So so I think that's a, yeah, definitely. It's like the face of Christ is joy. I love that quote from Pope Francis. Okay, so could you explain, um, like, how you discerned um, becoming consecrated virgin? Like, yeah. after this? Uh, yeah yeah, for sure I mean I think for me it was like like I said before it was kind of a long um a long process and I think part of that was honestly just the mercy of God in not kind of not leading me or not showing me the vocation before he was ready to really prepare me for it because he know I am such an impatient person but also I'm like um I tend to be very passionate. So if I see something and I'm like, yes, amazing, I'm going to be like, hmm, all in, you know, like two feet, just jumping right in. Um, However, with consecrated virginity, it's, uh, they often don't, um, like basically when you, when you become a consecrated virgin, you are consecrated. So there's no, you don't take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and you only do it once. So you receive the consecration and that's it for the rest of your life. So that means that in terms of preparation, the women who are admitted to, to, to the order, um, it's called the Ordo Virginum. And the women who are admitted to the order have to be women who are, um, well rooted in faith have a very stable prayer life and an ability to discern god's will to follow the holy spirit um and then also generally um they ask for women to although there's not really a stipulation for this necessarily but but in general wisdom um it's usually women who are not you know in their early 20s let's say um, unless there's like significant, um, significant, you know, leading by the Lord to, to show like, no, this woman is ready. But part of that is because it takes some life experience and some, you know, um, adult experience. And I mean, I think we can all agree that, uh, uh, that in accord with the research that adulthood is, is a little bit delayed these days. <laughs> so people mm-hmm. kind of stay in that, in that adolescent space for a little while. So I think that's part of the wisdom of the churches too. So I didn't even find out about what it was until I was in my thirties, um, which yeah, for me was definitely a grace because if I would have found out about it when I was, um, when I had kind of just had this conversion, um, yeah, I, I think it would have driven me crazy to know about it for years and years and not be able to, to, to do it right away. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that was a mercy from the Lord, I think. But um, but I definitely, in the time that I was with the sisters in Ottawa, um, one of the things that was a real grace about that was the development of, um, of a very stable prayer life for me. Mm-hmm. 
And I would say like, I've always really struggled with that from the time that I kind of um, experienced this conversion. Um, yeah, it, like it's such a, because it's the number one way that we can really, like that God reveals us to ourselves, right? Is in, in prayer and that we grow in that relationship with him through prayer and the sacraments. And, um, and so I, having that experience of living with um, sisters for a year and a half and having like an hour of personal prayer every morning. And that's not even the liturgy of the hours. That's just a silent hour of prayer with scripture and, you know, contemplation. Mm -hmm. And um, so that really cemented um, just, I guess the, the, the knowledge that I can hear the voice of the Lord and I can discern well, you know, like I can, he speaks to me and I can hear him, um, which I think sometimes we don't really say enough in the church. Like we talk about prayer and we talk about, you know, discernment and all of those kind of things. Um, but there is a point that you come to in your life of prayer where you hear the Lord speak to you, not obviously with your ears. Uh, well, some people do, but I have yeah. not had that experience before, mm -hmm. but, um, but just that experience of like, yeah, of him speaking, speaking to you. Um, and so then that I started to really have that experience on a regular basis. Um, but then there were also other things that I loved, like uh, praying the liturgy of the hours and, um, and the idea of um, espousal to Christ, like being set apart for Jesus to belong only to Jesus. And so that, that really kind of resonated with me. And then I remember in my orient or my orientation, my discernment retreat to actually be with that group of sisters. Um, the sister who was leading me, she she had given me um, a meditation on the passion to do, and that experience was really powerful for me. And then uh, while I was um, meeting with her about it afterwards, she said, "What would it look like if Jesus were to propose to you?" And um, in my heart, I just had this image of him on the cross and all of these senses from this meditation that I had had that was so powerful and him saying to me this is my proposal for you um the cross which is like him on the cross and that was really powerful and so now kind of entering into this vocation it's uh not an accident I think that my consecration day will be this September on the feast of the exaltation of the holy cross which also happens to be my baptism day <laughs> so wow yeah yeah so it's like um yeah so it's it's pretty amazing but but basically kind of after after leaving the sisters i had um like i had some time between when i left there until when i moved to to toronto that the lord was kind of dealing with other stuff in my heart and healing um and then when i moved back to toronto i had uh, or when I moved to Toronto, I kind of still had that sense of like, no, I actually don't feel like I was built for marriage. Like I love marriage. I don't feel like I'm running away from men or relationships or anything like that. Um, but I just don't feel like how the Lord made me is, is for like the life of marriage, you know? Um, and I also was, I like, I always had this desire to just belong totally to him and to be able to give myself like radically to him um, in an undivided way. And then I went to the consecration of um, another woman who is, who is a consecrated virgin in the Archdiocese of Toronto. Um, and even, even then though, I was like, uh, yeah, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> which, uh -huh. is funny, which is kind of funny now that I think about it, but um, 
but then kind of over time, um, I had looked more at that and started learning more about what it is. Uh, yeah. And so then I, um, I met with, uh, Bishop Boissonneau, who is the, the bishop here who's responsible for the Ordo Virginum and mm -hmm. entered into formation. And then it was through that formation, it was just very clear to me, like, yes, this is exactly what the Lord has created before. Um, and it was just like confirmation after confirmation after confirmation, whereas kind of trying to fit myself into the other vocations was kind of like trying to bang my head against a door. Like there were mm -hmm. things that kind of fit and a little bit fit, but not, not like, not like this has been. Yeah. So I'm not too familiar actually with consecrated virginity. Like how is it different from being, let's say like a nun? Oh yes. Um, so consecrated virginity is actually the oldest form of consecrated life in the church. Uh, and there were women who in the early church would um, would be set aside and would kind of receive this consecration so that they would be um, give themselves so they would be considered brides of Christ and would give themselves entirely to the service of the church. And um, as as kind of history went on, it kind of fell out of use because at some point um, consecrated virgins kind of started living together and, you know, religious orders were born and it wasn't really safe even for women to be on their own. Um, and so then uh, it really kind of fell out of, of practice in the church in the same way that, that I think um, with different religious orders, when the Lord inspires a charism for a particular religious order at times, it's only, um, it's only he's doing it in a particular time in history to respond to the needs of humanity at that particular time in history. Right. And so then sometimes religious orders um, develop and then, and then fade out after a while. Like, I think that's a, um, it's definitely been part of the history of the church. And, um, and so then, but after the second Vatican council, there were women coming forward who were kind of like, yeah, I feel like this call to belong to Jesus alone. Um, but I don't feel called to religious life. I don't know what to do about this. Um, and so they actually brought back this rite of consecration. Um, yeah, after the Second Vatican Council. And so women started kind of coming forward to receive this rite. And it's been growing so much in, um, in I, I mean, I hesitate to say popularity because it's not a... Because it's not a, um, it's a call. It's not a, yeah. you know it's what I mean? It's not like a fad. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, lots of women have been coming forward. So last year, um, there was a document that was, um, that was put out by uh, the Vatican in the summer last year. Mm -hmm. Because so many women have been coming forward from all around the world to their bishops being like, hey, I feel called to this. Uh, what do I do? And the bishops were like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not really mm -hmm. sure. Like there's a right to consecrate women, but there wasn't really a document um, with any kind of theological foundation. So um, so basically it's different from religious life in the sense that um, there are two kinds of consecrations of virgins. So one is you can be a consecrated virgin who is in a religious order. So some religious orders, um, you can be like a vowed about nothing like with poverty, chastity, and obedience, and also receive the consecration um, to a life of virginity. But uh, more common, I think, is this, um, the rite of consecration of a virgin living in the world. So that means that you don't live in community, you retain, you know, you work a normal job, there are consecrated virgins who, um, there's one who's a doctor in Ottawa or lawyers or often many will serve in the church in you know ministry for example like I do um, or whatever capacity they are and um, 
and you have a special um, kind of relationship with the diocesan bishop who is responsible in essence for um, for, for your care, not, not in a physical sense, because you still provide for yourself in terms of like, I still have a job. I still have savings for retirement. I still, it's not like at some point the diocese is going to be like, okay, here's a house for you to live in for the rest of your life. And like, mm-hmm. so I'm responsible for myself basically until I die, you know, but the diocese also provides support in terms of formation and in terms of having that relationship with, um, with the diocesan bishop who, who in a sense gives care and guidance to the consecrated virgins. And so when, you, when you're consecrated, you're consecrated in a diocese by the diocesan bishop. So then you're associated with that diocese. Um, and canonically, it's uh, the same as being, um, being a religious sister in terms of being a bride of Christ. So, mm-hmm. um, so you're a bride of Christ and espoused to Jesus. And um, in terms of prayer life, it's, uh, it's up to each individual um, consecrated woman, consecrated virgin, how, what that looks like for her, but generally includes praying the liturgy of the hours and, um, daily mass as much as possible. Um, rosary, uh, personal prayer, like time with scripture and contemplation and all of those kind of things, because, um, because the primacy of the, of the vocation is rooted in prayer and in that relationship with the one whose spouse you are. Um, and from that comes the fruitfulness um, and the spiritual motherhood that's found in the vocation itself. Yeah. So I guess it's, um, that's interesting. So it's kind of like um, the primary calling is to be a spouse of Christ, which is very similar to, let's say, being like a nun. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't answer, you don't have like an order with certain regulations. Right. You don't have like a superior general. Right. It's kind yeah. of like you're taken care of by the bishop, but yeah. it's not yeah. like the bishop has orders for you to follow. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because he he doesn't like he. It's not like he like he doesn't send everybody an email every week and be like, okay, this is what you're doing. And you can you can yeah. even go to, um, like let's say my family's in Ottawa, for example. So, mm-hmm. um, so if it came to be at some point that my parents needed um needed care when they get older and I move permanently to Ottawa. Mm-hmm then the bishop here would basically send a notification to the bishop there, like, hey, there's a consecrated virgin coming your way, um, just letting you know. So um, so that can happen as well. Um, yeah, and it's, um, like, I think it, it might be helpful. I can share what was kind of important for me in discovering this vocation was part of, a, part of it was a big sense of um, this desire for freedom. So not really... Mm-hmm freedom from, um, not really freedom from constraints or things like that, but a freedom for, so a freedom for service to my family. Like I, I feel, um, I feel a huge impetus to love and, um, evangelize and care for my family because I'm the only one of my cousins on my mom's side. It's a, so it's a pretty big family and I'm the only one who's practicing, um, and my grandmother was like, she had such a deep love for our lady. And that was her, like her and my grandfather, their whole life, like was just, they wanted all of their sons and daughters and their, you know, grandchildren to, to know God and to have that kind of relationship. So I feel in a sense, like she's kind of passed that torch on to me. Um, but I feel so in the, in, for example, that sense of freedom translates concretely into something like. Um, like in this vocation, um, 
if there's a family emergency, I can just go. Whereas if I was married with children, that wouldn't be possible in the same way. If I was in a religious order, that wouldn't be possible in the same way. So, mm -hmm. um, so there's like a freedom, like a good freedom to that, that, um, that feels very, um, life giving for me. But then also I've always kind of had this sense of like joy in knowing that if, that I can go anywhere at any time and do anything, um, that the Lord is asking me to do. So to be responsive like that and to be free to be that responsive in every single moment to whatever his will is for me is a huge sense of joy for me. Um, and even, even comparing myself to uh, like other women as they get into their late thirties and, or sorry, late twenties um, and early thirties even, I think. Um, so I'm not sure if you know this, but I think a lot of women are like, oh my gosh, I'm not married. Oh my gosh, I'm not married. Yeah. What, what is happening? Like there's like this kind of freak out that happens. I mean, and which is understandable, I think in some ways because, um, yeah, because it's, there's like a desire for marriage and for children and for all of those kind of things. But for me, I never had that freak out. Like I never felt mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, like I never felt like, like there was, um, this impulse towards that. So um, yeah, so it's a, it's just a kind of a different, like a different sense of what I feel called to and, and feel like I was made for. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. It's almost like, um, it's like you have the freedom of being, let's say like a lay person working in the world, but also you're being called to devote yourself to Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it really is like it's the devotion to Christ and my um, and my life with Him that actually brings about anything to begin with, you know. Um, and for me, for me, a lot of it also is about like sainthood. Like I want, I want sainthood. I want to be a saint. That's I want holiness. Like I have such a deep desire for holiness, which I think is every Christian should have. And if you don't, then maybe you might want to ask the Lord to give you that. Um, but there's like, yeah, I've. I've, um, I definitely experienced that a lot. And so, um, yeah. And so then looking at this vocation, I'm like, it, like, it really comes from that desire to have like an intimate, real relationship with the Lord where he can remove anything from me that doesn't bear fruit and where he can use every part of me in my totality for his will to serve him, to love him and by doing that, by receiving his love, to be fruitful in a way that I can love the whole church, that I can love the whole church, but which sounds like very broad, but to me, the whole church is whoever he places in front of me at any given point in time, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's who that's who he's calling me to to love. I actually heard a priest one time, a, a priest who's a friend of mine said that, um, like I was asking him about this, about for me, it's kind of as a woman to look at that relationship with the Lord being spousal. It feels very natural because he's a man and I'm a woman. And so there's that, that aspect. So I was asking him specifically like about priesthood and what that yeah. means, you know, like what does that look like for you? That kind of um, intimate relationship with the Lord and, you know, um, what does that look like? And he said for him, this is really beautiful um, for him that that um, that relationship of Jesus being the bridegroom of the church 
and him being um, like being able to act in persona Christi or being in that kind of image of Christ means that for him, his bride is whoever is whoever the Lord brings to him in front of him. So his bride is the church um, that's in front of him when he's offering mass or it's the person who he's counseling or it's like, so, and so this person or this group of people is his bride. And so he knows that the Lord is calling himself to offer this whole gift of who he is to his bride at any given moment. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. 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 I was actually talking to Angeline like recently about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause she was like, yeah, how is it, has it made sense for a priest? If yeah. Well, then, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, was, I heard of some people where they're like, um, like, God is their commander and they're like their soldier, but it also feels a bit like kind of like very um, like orders based and not like relational. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's true. Like there's, there's an obedience and a submission. That's exactly what St. Paul talks about, you know, but it's like, it's like a fruitful submission. It's not a domineering submission, but it's like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a trustful submission because if you trust that the person that you're giving yourself completely to is going to respond to you exactly in love, that's going to bring the best out of you and then vice versa for them as well, then mutual submission has nothing to do with domineering and everything Mm -hmm. to do with love. Yeah. 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 Um, So since you uh, start pursuing your vocation, then how's your faith changed? Well, yeah, this is a good idea or a good question. I mean, Um, I think that, I think that in general, I felt more, comfortable in giving myself fully to the ways that um to the things that bring me alive so for example like i love the quote um saint irenaeus says the glory of god is man fully alive Mm -hmm. um and so i i feel like that is very applicable because the things um for example like for me if i if i don't have prayer in the morning to start my day like i feel like I feel like something is um, incomplete. Like not even that. It feels more dramatic than that. It feels like I can't breathe. Like I, I don't feel like I am me. Um, so I think that being able to then recognize those things and give myself totally to them. So for example, like even with prayer like that, like actually, yes, that's a foundational part of my vocation in a different way than it would be for a married couple who have small children and who have to Mm -hmm. like look at altering their prayer life because they have, I mean, still having a prayer life hopefully, but, but yeah, it has to be responsive to the needs of family and da, 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 da. So actually I won't have to do that. So then that means for me that I can give myself fully to yes, making this an established part of my life that I can count on and that I know I won't have to like, give up or alter or something like that, you know, even though it will look different in different stages of my life, I know, but, um, but even having that, I feel like, um, the way that my faith life has changed with, you know, with prayer, with relationships, with looking at my job, with looking at all of those kind of things is more essentially about stability. Um, because it's different when you're discerning things and when you're still looking for the Lord's will, it feels like there's a a tenuousness about that that I kind of always felt like, Ooh, I can't like, I can give myself to holiness a hundred percent, but, but I don't a hundred percent know what that's going to look like in my life. So it feels like you're like on stable ground, but it's still a little bit shaky if that makes sense. So, so I think that's the main thing that's changed. Um, And then for me, that's brought all kinds of other 
um, yeah, like assurances from the Lord, like dealing with all of the fears that I had, like, okay, so what's going to happen when I'm 80? Am I going to live under a bridge because I have no money and no (laughs) spouse to care for me? And (laughs) so, so like I have to look practically at those things or, um, yeah. Or, or what will it like, really, what will it be like to live alone or to like, what does community look like? What does friendship look like? Um, what does like communion and relationship with other people and within the church look like? So I feel like there's more stability in that. Um, and just a sense of like, kind of really a sense of coming home and feeling very comfortable in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause so one of the, one of the things I wondered is, um, like for me, when I was discerning my vocation, I was thinking like, okay, if, if you're called to marriage, then it's pretty straightforward. If you're called to religious life, then you enter like an order or mm-hmm. for me as a guide, becoming part of a, a parish. Yeah. But then it, it seems like um, being a consecrated virgin is kind of like without a community, right? Because if you're mm-hmm. married and you have, let's say, a spouse to live with, if you live yeah. in an order, you have an order or you have like a parish. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. How does that work out then yeah no and this is an excellent question and actually um it it reminds me of um so a couple of times a year we meet together as um, consecrated virgins in the archdiocese here and then also once a year we go and we meet with cardinal collins um which is really like i have to say cardinal collins and the bishops here are um are really amazing you know like they they're just they're very um caring and invested and so meeting with cardinal collins one time one of the other women's um shared that that it seems to her like in her life what she's experienced kind of moving through life in this vocation is that around her community comes up so it's not like she really has to go you know always kind of seeking for it or whatever but it's like where the lord plants her there's a fruitfulness to that and there's a growth of relationship together and when she said that i was like yeah that's that's even I think another confirmation of, of my vocation, because I've also had that experience as well. So that also was kind of a, yeah, an answer to that, that question basically, or like, uh, or like a fear that, that I had of like, okay, so mm-hmm. am I, um, yeah, like, what does it mean to be kind of alone? And in some sense, I have to, like, if you're going to enter into this vocation, you have to have a comfort with yourself. So like I I can spend, even though, I mean, anybody who knows, you know, um, that I am an extrovert and, uh, I like to talk, not shy. Um, you know, like I, like I, I thrive in those situations. Um, but at the same time I'm going on, let's say next week I go on an eight day silent retreat, um, which a lot of people, it's kind of funny, actually. Um, even father said that yesterday. He's like, is that like is that difficult for you being silent for eight days? <laughs> because anybody you know, I just like to talk. Yeah. But uh, contrary to popular belief, I actually also love silence and I don't mind being with myself, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I feel a, 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 like a great comfort in my own skin. So even I have a desire to live on my own because I, I crave that, solitude and um, that ability to find the Lord in that solitude. So that's one thing that I think is part of actually community and all of those kind of things is, is yeah, just that balance. But then also on the other hand is 
um, and how the Lord kind of dealt with that in what the other consecrated virgin shared about the building up of community is that I have experienced that. So in the friendships that I've built or the things that I've been involved in, like there have been little groups that have come up like a shared group of women or a, a group of people who pray the liturgy of the hours together or um, yeah, a group of women who did Exodus 90 last term who are still like, we're still very close and, you know, pray together and things like that. So it's that kind of stuff. I find the Lord provides almost without me even having to do anything. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Except for respond to it. Yeah. So there's a real grace in that, I think. I see. Yeah. And in, in a way it's um, like, I guess you'd need those external groups as well. Right. Cause um, mm -hmm. I guess like, let's say if you're either married or if you're in like a religious order, these things would be kind of less available for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's true to like, even, um, one of the sisters of life here that I'm pretty close with, she, like she has friends who are external to the religious order, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that's like also definitely natural. And yeah, like you say in, in marriage, like it's natural to have other friends or, and I think it's also good to know that in the church that all of the vocations support one another right so mm -hmm. it's a real it's a such a gift for me to have friends who are married for example and then who will like invite me for supper and mm -hmm. um and then it's also a gift for them because i pray for them and for their children mm -hmm. and um and it's like a a, a witness you know of mm -hmm. of religious life or of of like discern discerning the lord's will in your life that can be really good for families and for children too you know so yeah, so there's there's this real interplay in it that the Lord just provides provides for those needs of community. Yeah, uh, and I have one last question for you. Sure. So if you could advise your 18-year-old self about your vocation, what would you say? Oh, man, that's a good question. I think I would say um, pray and do what you will. So like, I think, I think that quote is attributed to St. Augustine or somebody anyways, but, um, but for me, it's always been hard to be like patient because again, I'm, I get very passionate about things and, mm -hmm. um, and want to kind of like dive in head first when, when something is presented. So if I was talking to my 18 year old self, then I would say, um, I think that the Lord doesn't hide things from us you know like he brings things about in his own time and i think it's the same thing i would say to anybody who's discerning a vocation because sometimes it feels like there's just this pressure of like oh like i need to find it i want to find it and you're like searching so hard but the lord doesn't hide his will from us you know it's not like it's hiding there somewhere and you have to go digging and digging and digging to uncover it and then finally you uncover it and and then the lord's like okay you can enter into it because you've you dug through all the layers and you finally found like it's sometimes I think it feels a little bit like that, but, um, but really I think it's, I would tell my 18 year old, year old self, just pray, like just have a prayer life and give yourself fully to that and then see what the Lord brings and respond to that at, at all the times. Because, because I can see in my life when I look back now, how he was preparing me for this vocation from the beginning of my life. Um, because he created me for it. And, but I mean, I can also see how he brought it about at the time that he did, because now I'm ready to receive it as a gift. And that's a huge, 
that's a huge thing too. One of the sisters of life said that to me as well, that our vocation is a gift that we receive from the Lord, that we return to him in love. And so sometimes we're just not ready to receive that gift because he has to heal our hearts in some way or take fears away or change our hearts or show us, you know? So, yeah. So I think that's a good thing to remember too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's all we have. Um, Thanks so much for uh, agreeing to be interviewed by me. Ah, you are more than welcome. It's been great. I'm, I'm excited to see I'm excited to see what the Lord does in like in me in this vocation, because right now I'm not uh-huh. even like I'm entering into it in the fall. So I don't even really have an idea of <laughs> what yeah, it looks like. Yeah. So, you know, like yeah. five years down the road, you can check in with me and, <laughs> and I'll probably, yeah, have all kinds yeah. of to share. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of asking you like, how has your life changed since? But I'm like, wait a minute. You haven't even started yet. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. So after September 14th, so yeah, September 14th, um, whoever's listening to this, please pray for me. And um, yeah. And then, yeah, I'll come back in like a couple of years if you're still doing the podcast and then, and I'll give you an update. Cool. Great. Right. Thanks, Lyndon. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. A big thank you to Erin for agreeing to be interviewed. She is still working as the Director of Campus Ministry at the Newman Centre in the University of Toronto. And I interviewed her last year, and since then she has uh, already been consecrated as a consecrated virgin in the Archdiocese of Toronto in September of 2019. Up next week, I will be interviewing Deacon Mark Neugebauer, who is a deacon at the Archdiocese of Toronto, and he converted to Catholicism from Judaism and Evangelical Protestantism. You can check out the show notes in the description and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and family if you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, please send me an email and stay tuned for the next episode. Now, let's have a listen of Halo by Beyonce, the song for today.